Pilgrim's Church. And so if you're in pre-K through fifth grade, we will see you guys and girls later on. Go have a good time. And if you have your Bible with you today, would you please open up to the book of Psalms? And we're going to be in Psalm 124 this morning. And if you don't have a Bible with you, uh, maybe you're new with us, I really want to encourage you to maybe use one of those pew Bibles in front of you. And you can find the passage we're studying on page 543 in that pew Bible. So page 543, Psalm 124 is where we're going to spend our time. Uh, want to give you a little heads up that next Sunday, uh, our director of worship, Jennifer Bull, is going to be back with us. Now, she's not leading next Sunday, uh, but she'll be with us in the house worshiping as her sabbatical comes to a close. I'm so grateful for Connie, for Bob Crawford, Kendra Palefka, John Sargent, who have helped lead us in worship uh, in Jennifer's absence. Now, I want to coach you real quick. Uh, here's the number one question everyone will ask Jennifer when they see her. The question is, how was sabbatical? The answer's great, so just skip to question two. Don't ask question one. Skip to, question one is lazy. <laughs> question two, what's question two? I don't know, but it's got to be something better than how was sabbatical. Sabbatical was great. You've already got the answer. We already know that one. So when you see her, don't ask the lazy question. Ask a thoughtful question. What's something God taught you? How did you rest the best? What project did you complete? What thing do you wish you would have done instead? Ask the second question first, and don't forget to just heap some praise on her. We missed you. We love you, and Chris, we're glad you're back, and uh, do all of that, all right? So, that's it. Don't, now, it also, if you say to her, Cody said, I can't ask you this, I will hear that, and I will come to you and have a strong word with you. So, Ask the second question, give some praise, uh, and uh, it's going to be great to have her and Chris back. We miss them very much. Now, any story that has to do with rescue from danger is automatically going to be a great story. Uh, some examples in recent cinema. If you saw Top Gun Maverick this summer, uh, it's a story about defeating the enemy's fifth generation fighters. In the Marvel Universe, it's coming back from the snap. In the summer thriller, Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris, it's about having a new Christian Dior dress show up after the original was destroyed. You know what I'm talking about. We love stories where people are rescued from danger. And did you know that every child of God has a story of rescue? And although our stories haven't been made into movies, they have been turned into a song, and that song is Psalm 124. Now, we've seen repeatedly in our study of the Psalms of Ascent a theme that has come up. It's come up over and over again. As pilgrims made the journey to the house of the Lord, to the holy city, the repeated theme of their songs was the challenges they were facing in this world. So Psalm 120 starts with this line, in my distress, I called to the Lord. Psalm 121 asks, 
Where will my help come from? Psalm 122 asks for peace among God's people. And last week, Psalm 123 confessed, we've had more than enough of contempt and scorn. But Psalm 24 is a bit different from the previous songs because it's sung from the perspective of a person who has been rescued. Distress is no more. Help and peace have come. Psalm 124 is a testimony of God's deliverance. Psalm 24, 124, it's like the person who would rush to the front of the church and say, I've got to tell everyone about what the Lord has done for me. So this psalm is both testimony and invitation. It's testimony because it's telling the story of God's saving work in your life. But it's invitation in that it is inviting the listeners as well as your fellow singers into this experience of God's deliverance for themselves. So this song turns us into storytellers or story singers, however you want to look at it. And My goal today is to teach you how to tell the story of your deliverance. This song gives us three parts to the story of God's deliverance of His people. So follow along with me as I read Psalm 124. A song of ascents of David. If the Lord had not been on our side, let Israel say, if the Lord had not been on our side when people attacked us, then they would have swallowed us alive in their burning anger against us. Then the water would have engulfed us. The torrent would have swept over us. The raging water would have swept over us. Blessed be the Lord who has not let us be ripped apart by their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the hunter's net. The net is torn and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Now keep your eye on the page. Go back to verse 1. There's a notation. I'll call it a musical notation in verse 1. The opening line, if the Lord had not been on our side, is followed by this musical notation, let Israel say. It's, it's an invitation to the people of God to join in the telling of this story. This is for the church. It's an instruction to all those in the church to join along in the reading. It's not just for the choir. Notice it didn't say let the choir say. It, it says let Israel say, and all those who belong to the family of faith are those who are invited to read this. So we've read it wrong this morning by me just being the only reader. We're going to fix that now with a little bit of audience participation. Uh, I've asked one of our church members, Jeff Demosthenes, to help me out. Jeff, come on up. Jeff is going to lead us in this reading. So Jeff is going to take the solo part in verse 1. And then all of us, we're going to join in reading together with Jeff, starting in verse 2. And so when he says, let all Israel say, boom, you and I, we're in that and we're reading it all the way to the end. The words are here on the screen for you to join in and to read loud and with passion and with excitement of what the Lord has done. And so brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Jeff, you got it. Let us read Psalm 124. If the Lord had not been on our side, let Israel say. If, if the, the Lord, Lord had not, not been, been on our side, when people attacked us, 
then they would have swallowed us alive in their burning anger against us. Then the water would have engulfed us, the torrent would have swept over us. The raging water would have swept over us. Blessed be the Lord, who has not let us be ripped apart by their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the hunter's net. The net is torn and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Amen. Please pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank you for the privilege of being able to meet together. We thank you, Lord, for the privilege and the honor of being able to come together and worship your holy name. We thank you, Lord, for this time that we get to be in your word, your word of truth, your word of life, your word that guides us, that instructs us, and your word that reveals you to us, your word that allows us to see your marvelous character and your wondrous works and allows us to see Jesus of Nazareth who died on our behalf that we may be called children of God. I pray, Lord, that we would be attentive to the word, Lord, and, Lord, that you would work through your word to pierce our hearts and to do your will in our lives. Help us to leave here, Lord, stronger in our faith, more holy in our character, and help us to walk in a way that pleases you, that we would exalt your name through all, through all the earth, Lord. I pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jeff. Great job, church. You did superb at your impromptu singing. You're a marvelous choir. You did excellent. Now, we have just given testimony together. We've declared that if it had not been for the Lord, we would have been destroyed by the destructive forces in our lives. And your story is too amazing to keep to yourself. And so how do we, in practical terms, talk about what the Lord has done in our lives and that's where Psalm 24 is a help to us. It gives us three tips for sharing the story of God's deliverance. The first is this. When you talk about your deliverance, describe your deliverer. When you talk to others about your story of faith, describe your deliverer. So this song begins with a negative declaration, which is actually a positive did you notice there it's repeated in verse 1, if the Lord had not been on our side. So it's stated in the negative, but really it's a positive because it means the Lord was on our side. And what an audacious thing to say. Who is the person that gets to say such a thing? Is the Lord on your side? You know, it's terrifyingly easy to assume that God is on your side when in fact He, he may not be. We've made that assumption when it comes to our personal successes, our politics, in the arena of war, even just with our most basic wants. We've declared that God is on our side without consulting Him. But who gets to sing this song? Who with integrity and sincerity gets to claim the Lord is on my side? Well, verse 1 tells us it's Israel. And who is Israel? Something we've learned in our study of Romans earlier this year, we'll pick it up again next month, is that not all Israel is Israel. What that means is that the people of God are not determined by their passports, but by their faith in the Lord. 
then this isn't just a teaching from Romans or the New Testament church. This is a whole Bible teaching. Israel are those who walk in covenant faithfulness with the Lord. So it means it's entirely possible that you could call yourself Israel and yet not have the Lord on your side. That means you could call yourself Christian and not have the Lord on your side. It is possible to be a church meeting on a Sunday and yet not have the Lord on your side. And you might think, how could that be true of us? Surely not South Shore Baptist Church. I mean, we're 75 years old. We have a beautiful building. We're debt-free. We have all these people. I heard a great pastor say once, a church can be many and not much. God isn't impressed with the size of our attendance or the architecture of our building. He cares about our hearts. He cares about your heart. So the key question maybe is not, is the Lord on your side, but are you on the Lord's side? You're on the Lord's side when you have surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, when He is the Savior of your soul. And here's the amazing thing. Once you have made Jesus the Lord of your life, then you realize that the Lord has indeed been on your side all along. It's God's grace that put the gospel in your ears. It's God's love that drew you to himself. It's God's compassion that sent his son to the cross in your place. When believers look to the cross, we can say with confidence, the Lord is on our side. And if you belong to the Lord, then you have an incredible story to tell of his deliverance of you. Just from this one line, verse 1, what, what can we pull out of it to, to tell of our God? How, what does verse 1 teach us about the God who delivers us? Well, it teaches us he's relational. To say he's on our side is to say that, that he has a relationship with us. He's a knowable God. He's, he's like a parent to a child. He's like a mother bear to her cubs. Like a big brother to his little brother's bullies. He's the Lord who is on our side. He's relational. Not only that, he's powerful. If the Lord were not on our side when people attacked, bad things would have happened. But he was, and that's why we have this song to sing because He is the rescuing, delivering, saving God. He's the one who enters the fray on our behalf. Not only is He relational or powerful, verse 1 also teaches us He's attentive. He sees the attack before it happens, and He sustains His people all the way through. Now, if all you had to, to tell of your story was Psalm 124, well, you would have a lot to tell. You could tell people of your relational God, your powerful God, your attentive God. But he's more than just the Savior in a song. He's the Lord of your life, correct? So you have more to say of God than just what verse 1 gives you. What has the Lord been for you? Have you experienced his kindness, his patience, his faithfulness, his favor, has He been gracious and merciful to you? Has He rescued you, been a help? Has He been attentive and listening to you in your time of need? Is He a God that's been right by your side? What has He been for you? That's the story that has to be told. I'm afraid that too many Christians have an immature relationship with God because they only relate to Him as the fixer of problems. But He's more than that, I, 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 he's more than a God that's just there in case of emergency. Yet so many people 
define their days by what's wrong. Anytime we share prayer requests, we share things that are wrong. I'm not saying don't pray for things that are wrong, but maybe instead of only coming with prayer requests, perhaps you would come with a prayer declaration instead. Someone asks you, do you have a prayer request? And you say, I've got a prayer declaration. First of all, God is amazing. He's been so good to me. He loves me. He knows my name. He has ordered my steps. Every time I pray, He hears me. I've never gone through anything beyond His love or power. Jesus died for me and rose from the dead. One day, He's coming back. So when you pray for my sickness, or you pray for my sorrow, or you pray for my loved one, remember how great is the God you're praying to. Brothers and sisters, when you tell your story, describe your deliverer. He's the hero of it, the highlight of it. He is your God, the God who is on your side. When you speak of your deliverance, describe your deliverer. And then second, remember your rescue. Remember your rescue. We started this psalm by describing who it is that rescued us. And next, we describe what exactly he has rescued us from. In verses 3 through 5, contain three word pictures that describe the attacks on God's people. So verse 3 has a word picture. It describes the threat of being devoured alive by a beast or a monster. Look at what it says. Then they would have swallowed us alive in their burning anger against us. Verse 4, another word picture of water that would have engulfed God's people. Verse 4, then the water would have engulfed us. The torrent would have swept over us. Verse 5, similar language to describe the threat of raging water. Raging water would have swept over us. Now, in, in the original Hebrew, all three of those lines start with the same word. And it creates this emphatic repetition. Uh, if in English, it might be replicated this way. Uh, it might sound something like this. If the Lord had not been on our side, then they would have swallowed us alive. Then the water would have engulfed us. Then the raging water would have swept over us. Now that song describes serious threats, and these threats are terrifying. They are all-consuming. They are more powerful than us. If it hadn't been for the Lord, they would have destroyed us. Except the Lord is our deliverer. The strength of these threats is weakness compared to his strength. Their bite is toothless. He parts the waters of their rage so that we can cross on dry ground. And here's the lesson that's so hard for us to believe. It's not our strength, our cunning, our planning, or anything else we do that bests the enemies of God's people. But rather, it is God himself and alone who does the delivering. Think again of all the stories of God's people from the Bible. His stories of deliverance highlight His strength and their weakness. The walls of Jericho fell after God's people just marched and blew trumpets. They're not a mighty army, not a powerful force. God is the one who gives them the victory. Gideon defeated the Midianite army with an army of 300 people who just blew horns and broke jars. A shepherd boy named David defeated the Philistine giant with a slingshot. 
A young girl named Esther saved the nation with a courageous dinner confession. A virgin girl named Mary gave birth to God. And Jesus himself demonstrates weakness when in his triumphal entry, he went into the holy city on a donkey. And he wins our salvation through his death, not conquest, but by laying down his life for our own. Over and over again, the stories of God's people are stories of our utter weakness in the face of profound threats, but a God who is greater than it all, who sweeps in and rescues us for his glory in his name. Now, if the only story you had to tell was Psalm 124, you could tell people a great story, that he has rescued you from beasts and floods. That's a good story. That's a true story, but it's not all of the story. This song speaks in intentional generalities. What I mean is this, whenever we sing of beasts and floods in Psalm 124, we are to think of things that are specific to our lives that God has saved us from. This poetic language is generic so that everyone can sing the song, so that when it instructs us, let all Israel sing, all of us can join in and sing. Because you have stories in your life that could live under the headline, I was in the teeth of the beast. You've been through a thing where the the headline could be, the waters were sweeping over me. And what is that? Your story, your experience where the Lord has met you in the pit and lifted you out of it. Brothers and sisters, we have to remember, when is the last time you reflected on all that He has brought you through? What sin has been forgiven? What sin has He empowered you to turn away from? What sorrow has been met by His mercy? What fears has He quieted? What doubts did He remove? What need has He met? What chaos were you enduring when He gave you His peace? You need to remember those things. Not because you're stuck in the past, but because remembering our rescues from the past strengthens our faith in the present. God's people have always rehearsed His mighty deeds. We've always remembered what the Lord has done for His people to help us in this present moment against this present threat. In fact, the highest act of worship in the Christian church is an act of remembering. We're going to do that next Sunday. When we gather together, we will remember again through bread and cup the death of Jesus Christ for our salvation. So brothers and sisters, you must remember your rescue. What has He brought you through? And as you tell your story, share that with other people. Let them see the goodness and the power and the strength of God in all that He has done for you. Tell them of what you've been forgiven and what you've been brought through. When you tell your story, remember your rescue. When you tell the story of your deliverance, Describe your deliverer. Remember your rescue. Finally, praise him to people. And I'm really stretching the alliteration here, so I just want credit for uh, making it work. But I want you to praise him to people. When you tell your story, praise God to the people you're talking to. Sometimes when it comes to telling our stories, we glorify the pit. And the, the, 
the stories that sell books and book speaking engagements are stories that, that are just really gruesome and difficult and challenging. Uh, but the highlight of anyone's rescue, the highlight of any Christian's testimony is not the pit you were in, but the God who brought you out of it. And so when you tell your story, you want your story to not glorify the things of your past, the brokenness and the hurt. You want your story to glorify God himself, the one who rescued you. And the song teaches us to do this. It starts in verse 6 with a word of praise. Blessed be the Lord who has not let us be ripped apart by their teeth. We've escaped like a bird from the hunter's net. The net is torn and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Now, does verse 8 sound familiar? It should. Uh, that line, our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. We read that similar line back in Psalm 121. And you might think, well, how about that? Psalm 124 just repeats what 121 says. In, in our minds, we, we think sequentially, we think in a line, 121 comes before 124. That's the earlier one, but not necessarily the case. I don't know if you noticed at the beginning of this song, it says this is a song of a sense of David. So it's quite likely that Psalm 124 was written before Psalm 121. So this line, he's the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, in 124, it's the OG line. It was there originally before anything else. And so now you might say, well, how unoriginal of the writer of Psalm 121 <laughs> to rip off Psalm 124. But perhaps the problem is not with the lack of originality of the author, but with the stubbornness of the singers. Because how often do we forget that our help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He's not the Lord who might do the delivering. He's not the God who has potential to save and rescue. He is the maker of heaven and earth. Our souls need to be reminded of that regularly. And our God is so kind and patient to remind us. Now, here's what's amazing to me about these final three verses. They're not sung to God. They are sung to other people. Did you notice that? Verse 6 doesn't say, blessed are you, Lord, but rather it's as if the singer is looking at fellow singers and also spectators and declaring this praise to all of them. Hey, everyone, listen up. Blessed be the Lord. It's, it's praise of God spoken to other people. Now, church, we have incredible stories of God's saving work that have to be told. It is unnatural for a person to come into contact with the God of creation and to walk away with your lips zipped. It is so natural for us to tell stories. And, and think of just all the ridiculous stories we tell. What, what are the silly things we talk about? We talk about haircuts or restaurants or car problems or a new recipe or the orange line shut down. We talk about the most ridiculous things. Our conversations this morning have likely been filled with just vapid details of life, and that's fine. And if we can talk about those things... Why would we not also talk about what the Lord has done and is doing in our lives? But for some reason, we have it in our mind that we'd rather talk about nonsense than the rescue of our souls. 
As someone who's experienced God's deliverance, why would you not be prepped at any moment to interject faith into a conversation? Be ready to tell your story, to give hope to someone who's just engaging in mindless conversation. Why would you not prepare yourself day in and day out to talk to people about what the Lord has done in your life? Not only do we need to have those conversations with people beyond us, outside of the church in our lives, but we need to share those stories inside the church as well. Do you know the faith stories of the people you worship with? You may have a, a, a dear friend in this church, someone that, that you're connected to. Do you know their testimony? Do they know your story? Do they know why you worship the way you do? Why you have such joy? Do they know what the Lord has brought you through? We need to break spiritual ground with each other. Hey, what's your name? Where are you from? How'd you get here? What's the Lord done in your life? I'm going to tell you what He's done in my life. We need to know the stories of each other. We need to share with each other and with people outside of the church as well. You have to praise Him to the people in your life. And I want to model that for you now. I want you to know I'm not just talking about things that sound good theoretically. Psalm 124 reflects the testimony of my life. God is the hero of my story, and I want you to know why. I praise the Lord because when I was 15 years old, He rescued me from the penalty of my sin. I remember this worship service vividly. My life up to that point had been a great amount of turmoil. And I blamed God. At least I thought I blamed God for all that had happened. I didn't know God. I, I had imagined some sky being that I called God and somehow affiliated with the Christian church. And I assumed that my idea of God was responsible for all the heartache in my life. But I didn't know God. I, I was blaming a God with a lowercase g, a God of my imagination. Now, on this one particular night in an open-air tabernacle uh, on a Texas summer night, I heard the gospel for the first time. And my life was radically transformed that night. I, I heard that the God that I thought had done me wrong had actually shown unimaginable grace and love and kindness to me because I was a sinner against Him. And my sin against Him was profound. I, I had cursed this God. I had blamed Him, and yet He gave His Son to rescue me from, from my sin. Jesus did the only thing that He alone could do for me. No one else could do what He's done. He died in my place for my sin. Three days later, He rose from the dead. And the preacher that night said, if you'll turn from yourself and your sin, and you'll give your life to Jesus Christ, He'll forgive you, and He'll give you eternal life and I, at the first opportunity, I jumped out of my seat, and that night I gave my life to Jesus Christ. And I praise God because He's delivered me from the penalty of my sin. And He's been faithful throughout my entire life. If we were to fast forward to a few years ago, my wife Melissa and I were on the front end of our first adoption process, adopting our daughter Mercy from the country Uganda. And it was August 2010, and uh, Melissa got on a plane, flew to Uganda for what we thought would be a six-week uh, experience in completing the adoption process. 
and so step number one was go to Ugandan family court and get an adoption ruling. Boom, did that. It was awesome. It was fantastic. Uh, we walked, she walked out of that courtroom with full custody of mercy. We're now, at that point, we were a family of five thanks to their, that ruling. Step number two, go to the U.S. Embassy in the capital city and get a visa for mercy. Went to the U.S. Embassy. What we did not know until that moment was that our Ugandan attorney was basically a wanted man by the U.S. Uh, embassy because of corrupt practices. And so they took action against us in order to get to him. That meant they would not issue the visa for mercy. And they demanded that we go back to Ugandan court and get a new adoption ruling. And so we attempted to do that. But you'll, you'll be shocked to learn that Ugandan judges don't want the U.S. Embassy telling them what to do in their own courtrooms. And so they refused to rehear our case. They said, we've already ruled. You already have this ruling. It's in good standing. We know all the information we need to know. She's your daughter. Now go away. In August, she left and flew there. In October, I went over to visit for a little bit. And then in December, Melissa was able to come home to the U.S. We left Mercy with some friends there. And she came home for Christmas for a, a few days and then had to go back to Uganda. In the midst of that, in between that October and that December, the embassy actually said, we'll issue a visitor's visa for Mercy. It, it was really this incredible moment. Melissa went to the embassy office uh, got the visitor's visa, was in the car on the way to the airport when the embassy called and said, sorry, what we did was illegal and the visa's been revoked. She had to turn around. She had already given away her clothes uh, to fly home. She had to turn around, go back, uh, and we were crushed. That December, she came home for a couple of weeks, had to go back to Uganda because that's where Mercy was. And then February rolled around and we were at the end of ourselves, emotionally exhausted, um, we had no money left. All of our credit cards had been maxed out in this endeavor. And uh, I told Melissa my plan on the phone this one night. I said, tomorrow I'm going to put one of our cars up for sale. That might buy a plane ticket. Our cars were really crummy. And, uh, and then I'm going to, I just, I got to see you. I got, we got to be together. And she said, okay, do that. The next day, I got a call from a man I didn't know very well. But he was well acquainted with our story. And he, he said this. He said, the Lord has put it on mine and my wife's heart to buy a plane ticket for you to go visit Melissa. Man, if the Lord had not been on our side. So I cried. And I bought a plane ticket. And I went to Uganda for a couple of weeks. But then I had to come back and care for our daughters back home in Kansas. And Melissa and Mercy were still in Uganda. And more months rolled off the calendar. We got to July, and I thought, we can't do this anymore. It's been almost a year now. Uh, God's moving us to Uganda. I began to make plans for how to resign my church, how to find work in Uganda. I applied for passports for our daughters. I was talking to my wisdom people. Help me think this through. I don't see it. We can't do another six months. Can't do another year. We cannot be apart like this anymore. And then I got a phone call from our U.S. attorney who was working on our behalf in Washington, D.C. And she said, uh, I just got word from the State Department. They're tired of hearing your name in their offices and they want to put an end to this. So if Melissa can show that you still have a legal standing ruling from the Ugandan court, they will order the embassy to give you the visa. 
the next day, Melissa went to the court. It took some sneakiness, but she got <laughs> what she needed, and we got that back to the State Department, and then they gave the order to the embassy to issue Mercy's visa. Uh, Melissa went to the embassy uh, at her appointed time to pick up the visa, and when she went into the embassy, she was an emotional train wreck because every experience in that office had been a nightmare. The people had been so nasty. And so she sat there, just an emotional wreck, and she struck up a conversation with another American couple there in the waiting room with her. Uh, and they were also in country adopting. And uh, the husband just happened to mention that he was a youth pastor in Alabama. And Melissa said, really, my husband used to be a youth pastor in Mississippi, right next door to Alabama. And he goes, really, where in Mississippi? And she said, it's a town called Pearl. And he said, really, what church? And she said, oh, it's called Park Place Baptist Church. And he said, is your husband Cody Busby? <laughs> if the Lord had not been on our side, it was my friend Wes. And of all the places and all the days that they could have shown up in country, in that waiting room, there's Wes and his wife and their two Ugandan children to get their visas. Unbelievable the kindness and the attentiveness of the Lord to his terrified children. Wes told Melissa, he said, this has been such a frustrating process for us. We've, we've been in country three whole weeks and we're just now getting these visas. <laughs> How long have you been here? <laughs> As she rained blows upon him. She said, 11 months, and he said, oh, no, yeah, oh, no, indeed. But she left the office with the visa. Our attorney in America said, you can't tell anybody until you, they get through customs in America. Because at any point between now and that desk, even you get off the plane in America, you're not through customs. If the wrong person hears this news and gets upset, that visa can be revoked by any number of Ugandans or Americans. Don't tell anybody till they get through customs. They got through customs in Dallas, and I sounded the alarm. Called everyone we knew, put it on social media. Hey, you've got three hours to meet us at the Wichita International Airport because Melissa and Mercy are home now. And it was an unbelievable celebration. And if the Lord had not been on our side, we were in the teeth of the beast. We were engulfed by raging waters. We saw no way out, but the Lord was so good to us. He showed us His mercy and His kindness all the way through. He held our marriage together. He held our family together, though we were on two continents. He was so good to the church that walked with us through that experience. He's a God so kind and good to us and a God that I praise because He saved me when I was 15. He saved our family a few years ago. He's saving us to this very day. And like so many other people, we carry with us griefs that are not yet resolved. Not everything that has such a happy ending. But even in those situations, we bless the Lord because His faithfulness transcends our circumstances. Whether in the valley of the shadow of death or in the presence of our enemies or reclining in green pastures, we testify that our Deliverer is the Lord, the Maker of heaven and earth. I bless the Lord. Brothers and sisters, you have to praise Him to the people He puts in your life. What is your story of deliverance?
And doesn't Psalm 124 pump you up to tell this story of God to someone else? And when you tell your story, think of using this psalm like a script. Describe your deliverer. Remember your rescue. And praise God to the people around you. Now here's where you might object. And this is a proper objection. You could say, okay, yeah, I just read those words with everyone else because that's what we were supposed to do. But listen, I can think of situations in the lives of others or in my own life where people have not been delivered or rescued from difficulty or heartache. You might to point to a situation in your own life and say, look, here's evidence to the contrary of Psalm 124. I know Psalm 124 is generally true, but here's my argument from my own experience as to why this is not true for me. I understand that objection, and I relate to that objection. But here are two reasons why that objection is an error. First, if God the Son can bear the weight of our sin at the cross and absorb the wrath of the Father and three days later walk out of His tomb alive forevermore, then there is no hurt we will experience that is beyond the kind deliverance of God. If He rescued the Son from the cross, He will bring you through everything you face. Second reason this objection is in error is because the people in this very room bear testimony that this song is true by their own experience. Listen to me. Every heartache imaginable and unimaginable has happened to the people of South Shore Baptist Church. We testify to this. So when we recited this testimony earlier, it was spoken by a choir of the afflicted. We are intimately acquainted with sorrow and suffering of every kind. And those who sang this song next to you are those who carry deep wounds and are experiencing the Lord's deeper healing even now. All of us at some point have responded to words like Psalm 124 with an accusation of untrue. However, our patient and kind God responds to our accusations with the healing hope of the gospel and the fellowship of our church. So if you find yourself today on the victory side of trouble, where Psalm 124 is describing something you went through, then it is a beautiful testimony for you. But if you find yourself still under attack, the floodwaters still rising, then Psalm 124 becomes a kaleidoscope of possibilities. You still have to sing this song because it's a song of hope that looks ahead to your ultimate rescue at the end of this life. It's a song of strength as you look back and remember what He has already brought you through. It's a song of defiant faith in God, though you are hard-pressed on every side. It's a song of truth. Your help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. I challenge you this week to tell one person your story. Just one conversation, pre-planned or not, I challenge you to inject faith into a conversation with one person. 
Don't be silent anymore about what God has done for you. Don't be embarrassed. Don't be ashamed. Don't be afraid to tell someone else what God has done for you. This week, I challenge you, tell your story to one person. You can do more than one. You can't do less than one. I challenge you, tell it to one person. And then come back next Sunday. And we will have more stories to tell each other of what happened when the Lord was on our side. Let's pray together. Father, we praise you. Our testimony to each other is we bless you, the maker of heaven and earth, the God who is on our side. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We cannot doubt your love and your compassion and your might and your power. And God, we need that reminder this morning. I'm grateful for those who can recite Psalm 124 as testimony of victory from the past. And Lord, I rejoice that there are those who sing it, though their healing and their deliverance and their rescue is still ongoing. Thank you for that bold faith they've shown this morning in saying, I know who my deliverer is. I know where my rescue comes from. And Father, I'm grateful that there is no doubt about how our stories end. Life everlasting. Every tear wiped from our eyes. Living forever with you in love and peace and joy. God, we, we long for that day. And so, Father, this morning I pray that you would give us boldness and courage and strength and passion to talk about who you are and what you've done for us to tell these stories to each other and to others in our lives as we come across them. But Father, above all else, let each one of us in this room be certain today that we are on your side, that we would turn from our sin and turn to you, that Jesus Christ would be the Savior of our souls. Father, rescue us from that pit. Give us all that story that begins with, I was a sinner, but Christ loved me. Father, thank you for Psalm 124 and for your rescue of us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.